Buddy. The title of my exhortation this morning is, It is He Who Hath Made Us. And I had a few overheads that I was going to use for clarification of what I was going to be talking about a little bit, but our projector is not working this morning, so I may just pass a couple around of pieces of paper so that you guys can look at them and have a slight idea of what I'm talking about. The purpose of the exhortation this morning is to take a look at part of one of God's most glorious creations, to increase our faith in the one true God of Israel, to show the silliness of atheism and evolution, and to prove our dependence on Yahweh for life itself and why this should be one of the causes behind obeying the command to make a joyful noise unto the Lord and serve the Lord with gladness. This probably seems like a lofty goal for less than an hour of talking time, but once we, once we start, it'll, it'll be a little bit clearer how, how we can do this quickly. The subject of interest lies within our own bodies. We'll be examining the unique characteristics of a muscle cell. Uh, turn to Genesis 1.26, please. In this verse, we read that man is created in the image of Elohim. So this frame that we have been given that we've been given is, is just a blueprint of sorts. The structure manifested outwardly, however, betrays the true complexity of the being. This can be true in many senses, but the sense that we care about this morning is the physical. So we'll begin our look at this muscle cell now. Uh, muscles are very large masses compared to the mi millions of cells that they are composed of. Any of you who, have, uh, who are hunters and you've, you've uh, taken apart your deer after you're killed, and then you know that uh, what the muscle looks like. Uh, I'm going I'm to draw a couple things here in a minute just so that uh, you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, if you cut a muscle in half, you will see many bundles inside. These bundles are called fascicles, and they contain muscle cells or muscle fibers. And inside each cell, you will find a great deal of complexity that doesn't, e doesn't seem possible for such a small thing. There are powerhouses, communication networks, delivery centers, broadcast stations, and a command center which controls everything in the cell, just to name a few of the things. And uh, let me draw these real quick. This is a bone, this is your elbow joint here. If this is your muscle here, and we cut it in half this way, you're looking at it here, and you're going to find a bunch of the. This is actually going to be white circles, more or less. Uh, but it's going to there's going to be a bunch of these here. And if you take one of these out and you look at this and it's and you magnify it really big, and you'll see a bunch of small dots inside of here, and those are your muscle cells. Um, a basic overview of a contraction of a muscle cell involves stimulation by a nerve, a transfer and propagation of chemicals which elicit a contraction. To understand how this happens, we must first investigate each part of the muscle cell and then show how they all work together to produce a contraction. Uh, we will start from outside and work our way in. The sarcolemma, which is the outside of the muscle cell, it's the cell membrane, covers the muscle cell. It is a covering 
for what is inside the cell, but it is also specialized. The specialization helps send the stimulation from the nerve fast and evenly across the surface of the cell. After this cell membrane, we encounter uh, transverse tubules, or T-tubule as they're called, and this is why I really wanted these overheads, because it helps make everything a little bit more clear. I'm going to pass this around, and it's, it's got some, it's just a little visualization. Just look at it quickly and pass it on, and make sure you look at each one of these things, because we're going to be talking about a few of these specifically. The T-tubule, this part of the cell receives the signal from the nerve and sends it through the cell where it stimulates another part of the cell called the sarcoplasmic reticulum or SR. The T-tubule passes from one side of the cell to the other like an open pipe. So if you imagine a cell as this right here, just a round thing, these T-tubules just kind of pass through like this. It's just open and it's, a, it's open on either side of the cell and it just goes right through there. There's no opening into the cell from the T-tubule at all. It's just a pipe that passes through. The T-tubules do not bring things into or take things out of the muscle cell. They only allow the signal to pass through the cell. The SR stores, stores large amounts of calcium and after the SR, we have the myofibrils, which I'll, uh, I'll pass around one of these also. Uh, the myofibrils look like striped strings. They're made up of the most basic contractile units called sarcomeres. The sarcomeres are composed of myofilaments, which produce a contraction of the muscle cell. And there are two myofilaments, actin and myosin. Actin is, is a very thin filament, and myosin is a thick filament. These are the nicknames that have been given to them, thin filament and thick filament. The actin is attractive to the myosin due to another, uh, due to another molecule that binds to myosin, and the myosin head binds to the actin. The first myosin head that binds to the actin then goes through a stroke phase, which slides the actin along the plane of the myosin, and then the second myosin head binds to the first, uh, so, excuse me, the second myosin head binds to the actin and the first releases. The second myosin head also goes through a stroke phase and then the first myosin head binds and again binds again and the process repeats again and again. This is the basic over overview of a muscle cell and I'm going to keep apologizing because it, if I had these visuals it would be a lot easier for me to show you this. To fully understand how this works, uh, it would take far too much time, but we will look slightly deeper to uncover a little more about this cell. For this, we will start from the inside and work our way out. I'm going to pass around a couple more of these. The thin and thick filaments form the sarcomere. They are attached to different points of origin.
The actin attaches to the Z disc. Now this is this is just a crude drawing, but this is these are your thin filaments or the actin, and this is called the Z disc. And the myosin attaches to the M line, and these are your thick filaments or myosin, and they attach to this M line. You when you're uh, when you're looking at this uh, physically, then you, you don't really see this line, but that's that's where the myosin attaches. Where the two cross forms a dark band which produces the striations or stripes that are characteristic of a muscle cell. Where these two cross right here, that's, that's where that dark band is formed. Outside of that, this area and this area will be real light, almost white. Myosin is a molecule that looks like a needle with the head bent to a sharp angle. If you remember, if you've seen these, these handouts, uh, the myosin uh, kind of looks like that. And the eye is called the myosin head, and it will not be in contact with the actin when the muscle is at rest. The actin looks like two strings spun, or, spun around each other, and that's also on there. There's also a small molecule that covers the actin to keep the myosin head from binding to the actin. This molecule is called troponin. Troponin is connected to, the, to another molecule called tropomyosin, which acts as a divider between the myosin head and the actin. The myosin head rests against tropomyosin when the muscle is at rest. For a contraction to occur, the troponin must be moved so the myosin head can bind to the actin. For this to happen, calcium must bind to troponin. This binding changes the shape of troponin and pulls the tropomyosin away from the actin. When this occurs, a molecule called ATP, which is bound to the myosin head, breaks down, giving off energy for the myosin head to bind to the actin. When the myosin head binds to actin, the myosin head goes through the aforementioned stroke phase, pulling actin closer to the M line that the myosin originates from, and it also brings the myosin closer to the Z disc that the actin originates from. So when these heads that are on here bind to this actin, they'll pull this direction. They'll, they'll move this way so that this line moves this way, and this tail ends up being closer over here, and this tail ends up being closer over here. And when these two are as far over as they can go, which they'll be touching, that's a contraction. They'll be as far as they can go. You can't pull it any farther. When this occurs, the dark bands on the muscles get bigger until they cover the cell. This is a muscle contraction. When the myosin head completes the stroke phase, ATP again binds to the myosin head, which releases it from the actin binding site, and the calcium also releases from the troponin, and it again covers the active site on the actin. The ATP that binds to the myosin head comes from small powerhouses inside the cell called mitochondria. Mitochondria make, cell, make cells work. Without them, nothing would happen, and we would be dead. Now, I will not go into the process of creating ATP, just know that ATP comes from these mitochondria. Also, the calcium which binds to the troponin, that comes from the SR that we mentioned earlier. There are small gates in the SR which release calcium when it is needed, and there are small pumps which pull calcium back into the SR when it is not needed. When we do not have enough calcium, we cannot pr produce a muscle contraction, and this has serious repercussions. This is because all muscle cells, not only the skeletal muscle that we are talking about, which I drew earlier for you, uh, use calcium for muscle contractions.
On the other hand, when we die, we rigor and our muscles become very stiff. This is because the, the gates which hold back the calcium open and the calcium binds to the troponin which allows the myosin head to bind to the actin. However, without the pumps working to pull the calcium back into the SR and without the mitochondria working to break myosin's bond with actin, the myosin heads remain bound to the actin and the muscle freezes in the position in which it died. And that's why we get real stiff. But back to this investigation. Why do the SR gates open? This comes from an impulse that passes through the T-tubules and this activates the gates so they open. Where does the impulse come from? The impulse that passes through the T-tubules comes from the sarcolemma or the cell membrane that contains everything inside the cell. And this specialized membrane that we talked about earlier receives a signal from a motor nerve that synapses at a specialized spot on the sarcolemma. This motor nerve receives a signal from the brain and releases chemicals onto the surface of the muscle cell. These chemicals bind to certain receptors before they are pumped back into the nerve cell. The receptors activate their own chemical release, which is the signal that is carried across the surface of the muscle cell. So a brief overview of what we have just talked about. A motor nerve cell releases chemicals which bind to the receptors on a muscle cell. The receptors release their chemicals, which are transferred as, signal, as a signal across the surface of the muscle cell. The signal passes through the T-tubules and the signal stimulates the SR within the cell. The gates of the SR open and calcium is released. The calcium binds to troponin and the myosin heads bind to the active site on the actin and produce a power stroke, which is a muscle contraction. I apologize for the confusion on this again. But why does this happen? What is the reason for for these things going through this process. The purpose is to move things and make us mobile, useful beings. But why and how does it happen? Why does the myosin head bind to the actin? It has no natural desire to. Why does the ATP force the binding? It has no desire to break down. Why does the calcium leave the SR? The pumps only move it back in, and that is the only active transport. The calcium is not pumped out. The process is called, called diffusion. It means that there is an abundance of calcium inside the SR and not much outside the SR, so the calcium diffuses until there is an equal proportion of calcium inside the SR and outside. But why does it do this? There is no real desire of the calcium to move. Nothing is forcing it to, to leave the SR, and nothing forces it to bind to troponin. These molecules and ions don't get any pleasure from binding or moving around. There is no reason for the nerve cell to send its impulse. There is a threshold in energy that must be broken before a nerve cell can send its impulse. This has always been interesting to me. It is the same for every nerve cell in the body. The, uh, a nerve cell has to reach a certain level of energy before it will ever send its impulse. And that, that level of energy is the same for every nerve cell in the body. But there is no reason for it. There is no reason for the ATP to be formed or moved to the myosin head. What I'm trying to get at is that we should be totally convinced by life even existing on this planet that there is a deity who created us. Job 33 verse 4.
Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. There is no other way that life could have occurred. One of the general principles of motion is a body will remain at rest unless there is some external force acting on it. So just from that, we see that life doesn't come from within. It comes from without. Something had to happen to us for life to exist. That is why we read from Genesis at the beginning of the Sacrotation. Acts 17, verse 28. For in him we, we live and move and have our being. This proves that without him we have no life. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. He, Yahweh, has made us. There was no bubble beginning, no fish decided to walk on land, no monkey decided to walk instead of sing, swing from trees, and no caveman decided to sh shed his fur for a business suit. We were created just as we are, and that is how it has been for 6,000 years. The other reason that makes evolution so silly to me is that they think they know how long the earth has been around and how long ago life began. But according to the muscle cell we just studied, they haven't even given enough time for their little theory to play out. Evolution only occurs every 100 million years or so, and the Earth has only been around for 4.5 billion. That leaves room for 45 evolutionary steps. Even if, evolutionary, even if an evolutionary step took place every 1 million years, it would only leave 4,500 steps of evolution for the slug to turn into the man. That is not even enough steps to finish this muscle cell. And someone used to tell me that above all, atheists should believe in God because his name is in the Bible, Psalm 53, verse 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Fool. Any person who denies the existence of God is a fool and has been marked so in the scriptures. Now, I didn't even go into all detail of, of uh, how muscles work and how they contract. I know that that was a little confusing and there's a lot of technical terms, but there, there are muscle cells that tell us how tell our body that we're contracting too hard and that we're going to tear something. There are, there are certain um, uh, cells in our tendons that tell us our muscles stretch too far and we need to stop. Uh, there, the signals that go back and forth are so many just for one movement such as this, an arm from straight to, to bent, uh, that it would, just, it would take far too long to even describe it in a week. So as I said before, this life that we have, we should be very grateful for. Even more so that we know the plan of salvation and have been given this chance at eternal life. We should be praising Yahweh for what we take granted for, breath. Job tells us that if God takes back his breath, all flesh would perish and man would turn back to dust. For this, we should rejoice that there is breath in us. And on top of that, we believe in the one true God of Israel, 
who has promised us that he will watch over us because of our faith in him. Deuteronomy 6, 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all things, to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. Psalm 31, 23 and 24. O love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Psalm 37, 28. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Proverbs 2, verse 8. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth, preserveth the way of his saints. 2 Timothy 4, 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This should be a great comfort to us, brethren, that we will be guarded and watched until the return of his Son. We should, glad, we should continue gladly in the path that he has set before us. For why should we be sad about it? There is no reason to be. The joy that is set before us is much greater than the hardship that we will ever encounter any hardship that we will ever encounter in this life, even death. Be lifted up, brethren. Trust in God, and he will reward you for your faith. Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth, and my, with my song will I praise him. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isaiah 50, verse 9. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall, who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment, the moth shall eat them up. Hebrews 13, verse 6.
so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. This should be our meditation all day and all night. There is no part of creation too small that it cannot teach a lesson. Remember that we were created in the image of the Elohim. Even something as small as the muscle cell can provide a very strong lesson to us about humility and obedience. And we'll begin our memorial service now. I'm going to read uh, Isaiah 53. 